I don't know if you caught it this week or not. It seems like every week we've got a, a new article, uh, something new in the headlines from uh, the Pope a couple of weeks ago, blessing same-sex marriages. To this week, the uh, United Methodist Church have vowed not to use words such as husbands and wives and mothers and fathers from the pulpit. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Lord, help America. Lord, help the Methodist. Amen. Matthew chapter 26. I'm going to read with just a little uh, exposition as I read from Matthew chapter 26, verse 14. Uh, I, I want you to get this picture. He says, Then one of the twelve... So what we're talking about uh, this morning are 12 of the closest acquaintances with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we're talking about this morning. We're talking about the last few hours of our Lord and Savior's life. We're talking about uh, the, the last teaching that He's going to do and the setting in which He will do that. A very important time for the disciples at that time as He prepared them for His absence and for us today. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest. And by the way, the chief priest and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious council were not friends of Jesus. They were the enemies. So one of the twelve went to the enemies of Jesus. Are you with me? Went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me? if I deliver him over to you. He couldn't even use the name Lord or the name Christ. He, he used a pronoun. If I give him over to you. And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Verse 17, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? So the Passover brought on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, a, a long celebration. This is the beginning of it. And... Uh, if, if you read this account pretty lightly, uh, like I have so many times, uh, you don't realize the significance of them not being in their homes necessarily and not being uh, uh, where they're normally at, and now they're going to have to partake of the Lord's Supper and uh, not, a, not, not a specific place that they're going to have it. So this is, a, this is pretty big. Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said to them, and we're going to look at the Matthew or the Mark and the Luke account in just a second. He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. 
They were all there, including Judas. And, and as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after the other, Is it I, Lord? So that tells us at least two things. They didn't think in their mind right off the bat, it's Judas. But what they did think was, and it's it's good thinking. (laughs) Uh, Spurgeon, and we'll look at this a little closer in the next couple of weeks, Spurgeon says, this is being self-suspicious. You know what that means? Realizing it could have been you. And instead of pointing your finger at other people and being suspicious of them, what we really need to do as mature Christians is be suspicious of what we are capable of. Just read the scripture. I quote it to you almost every Sunday. This is what makes a man unclean. There's a litany of things here that are awful things that we're capable of. So they said, is it I, Lord? He answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? Now look back up at uh, verse 22. What did all the disciples call him? Lord. He couldn't even use his name when he went to the council. And now he uses the name rabbi or teacher rather than Lord. He just couldn't bring it to himself to acknowledge him for who he probably knew he was. Jesus said to him, you have said so. So where are we at in Matthew? Well, we're not in chapter 1 anymore. We are in chapter 26. And I, I, wanna, I want you to know, and Lacey was telling me about a, a book she had read this week, and she wasn't sure, sure that I put her on the book or who put her on the book. But anyway, uh, she, she said it was really good, and she enjoyed it. But uh, I am so thankful that through, through preservation of teachings and through the media, I, I mean, we have access to all kinds of good commentary on God's Word. And, and I want you to know I'm, I'm so thankful to have that and to have access to that uh, because this is some good stuff and I surely need to give you guys way more than I know. I need to give you that they're all there is there to know. Matthew 26, 1 and 2, Christ uh, again foretold His own death. In verses 3 through 5, the rulers conspire against Him. Uh, the last time I preached from this, you remember I preached on the greatest gift on Christmas Day, and I preached last week about uh, how we can love Jesus more in 2024. Well, today we're back to the, the text that follows this, 
we looked at Mary as she poured the expensive ointment on his head. And today we pick up in verses 14 through 25 that Judas bargains to betray Jesus and Jesus observes the Passover with his people for the last time, institutes the Lord's Supper, and he identifies Judas as the betrayer. We'll just kind of get started with it today. So let's look at these scriptures individually. Verse 14, Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? You know what's going on here. They wanted to arrest him. They And, and I think it's, uh, well, I know it's, it's absolutely remarkable how it all came down. And the way it came down is exactly the way God had planned for it to come down. Uh, the arrest and all of that, and we'll see more of that as we go. But they they wanted uh, they wanted him delivered over to them at a time that all the people wouldn't 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 know what was going on. They could kind of do it in secret, and to do it uh, when they were getting ready for the Passover and and during that Passover beginning and 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 all of that, everybody else was consumed with their own things going on. And so a lot of people missed this happening. That's when they wanted it to happen, when nobody would know it. In verse 15, And said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. So while they were busy, the council, the chief priests, the scribes and elders, this is the beginning of the unleavened bread feast. It's the beginning of the Passover, and they're consumed with what? Arresting and killing Jesus. That's what they were consumed with. And what they were looking for is how they might surprise Christ and arrest Him without making a disturbance. And they picked a pretty good time. And then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples of our Lord, was was instigated by the devil to do what he did. Now, I want you to get this. You remember? He was really discontent when Mary poured the oil on Jesus' feet because he and the rest of the disciples called it a waste of money. So he's stirred up about this. He's also stirred up that that money is not going to go into the bag that he has that he can take from. So... The devil used that discontent to stir up this in Judas to pull this deed off. That's what's going on. So he goes to the council and offers to hand Jesus over to them. Now who's doing this? One of the who? One of the twelve. And we'll look at next week. Uh, Just because you're keeping the right company doesn't guarantee anything for you. And I will tell you, it's better to keep the right company than the wrong company, but keeping the right company is no guarantee. Are you with me? We'll look at that next week. So he comes, and can you, can you imagine the surprise? The surprise and, and the, how thrilled they were that here was someone that was intimately acquainted with, acquainted with Jesus that was going to offer him up to them. They thought, man, they had it going on. It's, it's going to happen just like we wanted it to happen. And they, they were thrilled, and they made the lowest of offers. 30 pieces of silver. 
Nothing. Let me tell you how little it was, okay? That was the exact amount of money that the law required if someone's lowliest of servants was killed uh, by, specifically, I'm going to read this, by an oxen that had gored this servant. So if, if you had a servant that worked for you, and, you're, and, 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 and so they work for you, and someone else's oxen, who was known to be dangerous, gored that servant, they would, be, they would have to pay you 30 pieces of silver. That's how little, little value they placed upon Jesus Christ. 30 pieces of silver. Exodus 21.32, you've got, the, got it there. If the ox gores a slave, male or female, the owner shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. Very little was paid for him. Now, this was the lowest price that could be paid for any person's life. Now, what were they trying to do? They were trying to demean and belittle Jesus Christ. That's what they were doing with them outpaid. The price was intentionally set low. Warning everybody know that they had no use for Jesus. And, and the crazy thing about this, this greedy guy Judas, he didn't even question the small amount. He just took what they offered. And I can promise you, they would have paid whatever he asked because they wanted Jesus to be done away with. So it's pretty amazing that he didn't ask for more. Now, why did it happen this way? Somebody tell me why it happened this way. Prophecy. It had already been determined in the Old Testament that this is the way it's going to happen, and this is the way, this is the amount that's going to be paid. So we look at Zechariah 11, 12, and 13. Then I said to them, If it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. And then the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and, and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. So they weighed out 30 pieces of silver. Now we're going to look at this amount a little more closely when we cook, come to the point that Jesus, Judas takes his own life. We'll look at it a little closer then. But, but you know what this price was set by? It wasn't set by the council. It wasn't set by the scribes of the Pharisees. This, this price was set by God when? From the foundation of the world in eternity past, this was the price that would be determined. And that's who said it. So what I want you to see here, and, and we'll develop this more as we go, it, 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 you, know who's going to get, you know who's going to get killed on the cross? Who, who was that guy? Christ. Well, guess who's in charge of these proceedings? Christ is. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. But it's really playing out. He's doing whose will? The Father's doing the Father's will. Okay, so I want you to see that. Now, all of this was part of the degree that Jesus would be humiliated. 
we're going to see this. We, sometimes we forget it. There was, there was no greater way to be humiliated than to be killed, crucified on a cross. Well, the low price was just part of that humiliation. They're, they're just saying, we've got no use for this man. And that's what determined all this. So they, he, he, he came to service, did he not? Came to die and to pay the penalty for our sins to be our substitute. And that's how his life was valued as a servant. Judas was just greedy enough to have asked for more money, but he did not do that. And I've already told you the council would have paid it. But this amount, again, was, was divinely appointed. And that's why they paid him that amount. Christ had to be so cheap that he might be the more dear to the souls of those who are redeemed. You know how you can, you know how you can love Jesus more in 2024? Often look at the cross, what happened to him, and why he did it, and who he did it for. Verse 16 says, And from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. So you get the picture? From that very moment, Judas was looking for the right opportunity. And it's going to present itself to him pretty quickly. Verse 17, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. So hold your spot right there in Matthew and go to Mark 14. Mark 14, verse 12. This adds just a little more to it. I'm going to read it, probably not read the uh, Luke account. Mark chapter 14, verse 12. The same account, another evangelist. And on the first day of the unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? Now, were there lots of people in Jerusalem? Lots of extra people in Jerusalem? Would it, would it, man, it's amazing how you can read scripture and miss it. How many, how many places in Jerusalem that had been prepared for these people to come and where people from out of town would come and observe the Passover? It was a big deal. It's kind of like what we're going to have on April the 6th or the 8th. Yeah, the eclipse, okay? And there's, they're saying there's going to be hundreds of thousands of people in this area. So anytime that people see a crowd coming, they're looking for an opportunity, right? So there were all kinds of rooms to, to, to be ready. And so, so Jesus knew where all these rooms were, and he understood that. So I want you to get the picture in, in Mark chapter 14, verse 12. On the first day of the unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? They don't have a place. I'm sure in Bethany, where he stayed, they could have had a place. But, but this is Jerusalem prosper. 
Where, where are we going to do the Passover? Good question, right? All right, now listen to what it says. Verse 13, and he sent two of his disciples. Now, Luke tells us who those are. Who were they? Peter and John. Okay. He sent those two disciples and said to them, Go into the city. A man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Okay, so you're looking for a man carrying a jar of water. Well, if that happened in South Arkansas, you know, it probably wouldn't be a big deal. You know what men in this time did not do? They didn't carry the water jars. Who did all the water toting? The women did. So there's a, there's a good hint. You're going to find a, a man carrying a water jar. So let's go on. Okay, so uh, you'll find a man carrying a water jar. He will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of that house, Okay, so now we've got another man involved. We've got the man. You're going to follow him going to the place where the Passover room is prepared. When you get there, say to the master, listen to this. The teacher says, where is my guest room? Where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? And when you say that, he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them and they prepared the Passover. So let me ask you again. Who's in charge here? I want you to see that. I want you to see that he voluntarily went to do what he went to do. So he gave them the plans. Uh... Every night, you know where he goes to stay? He goes to stay in Bethany. You know, we know that's common for him. The day was coming for the killing of the Passover. The day that the law has set. Look at Exodus 12, 6. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation shall kill their lambs at twilight. Between 3 and 5 p.m., not a wide frame of when the Passover lamb is going to be killed. So, he says in verse 17b, where you will have us prepare for you to eat the Passover. Our Lord here gives His disciples proof of His divine nature. He tells them what they're going to find in the city. Right? What did they find in the city? Exactly what He told them they'd find in the city. That's exactly what happened. Verse 18, he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. I hope you're following along in Matthew uh, chapter 26. So, finding the householder so willing and so prepared to host them. I mean, I suspect he's had other... I suspect that he, uh, he may have overbooked this room, Tom. I'm, 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 I'm thinking he... He probably already had somebody else committed to this room. All three evangelists agree that the disciples did as Jesus commanded and found what He said they would find. And they made ready the Passover. Now, I, I can't even imagine. There was a great amount of work that went into doing the Passover. Lots of things had to happen. I, I, can't, I can't fathom it all. 
Where was the lamb? Uh, how was it going to get offered at the temple? Uh, the time that it had to take to do all of this, the time to cleanse the animal, this, this didn't just happen in a few minutes. But God brought it about. So the scripture really gives not too much detail. You know what? We ought to be satisfied, and maybe, we're, maybe I'm trying to get you to overthink this, but we ought, to, we, ought to, we ought to be this satisfied. The Passover, what did he say? Was made ready. Regardless of how it all came about, the bottom line is this. The Passover was made ready so they could observe it. Verse 19. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, let me assure you. It was done according to the law of God. They did not miss any of the details. They did it according to the law. And they were, they, they're just letting us know that our Lord was going to keep the Passover. Matter of fact, this is a, this is a terribly important time, not only every year, but especially now because of what was going to happen to Jesus Christ. It was important. He was going to keep the Passover. Verse 20, when it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. And the Son of Man goes as is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. So Luke doesn't go into the discussion of the institute of institution of the Lord's Supper that the others go into, but we know that's where this is going. And, you know, we're having the Lord's Supper this morning, and we're almost there in the Scripture, and Tom's going to do our devotion and, Probably next week, the week after, we'll look at the, the ending of the, the ritual of the Passover and the establishment of the Lord's Supper. We'll look at that more closely. But I want you to see, for understanding this, there, there's something to the order of this happening that we probably need to look at. So, <clears throat> they're, sitting, uh, they're sitting for the Lord's Supper usually happened in a more relaxed way then uh, we would sit down to eat a meal. Probably even they, when they sat down to eat a meal, would sit at tables like we do. But you've got to remember and think back and begin to think back the manner in which they observed the Passover in Egypt. You remember that one? And we're going to look at it. You remember they had to, they had to eat it standing? They had to eat it with their, their uh, uh, loins girded? And they had to eat it ready to go, right? Because they were in imminent trouble. But now they're, they're people free in the Lord. And they're going to eat and observe this, this Passover as free people. Freed by the relationship they have with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now get this. Other meals, they either sat as we do or their bodies uh, sat uh, kind of like we do when we eat. It's the way I see it. 
But when they did something special, they sat up on the beds or leaned up on the uh, sat up on the bed or on the couches or or on the floor and leaned up on the table. But on the Passover night, they 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 reverted to this leaning posture because it represented something. They used their leaning posture as men who were now under Christ and not un- under the authority of the Egyptians. It was a recognition of their being freed from their slavery, from their captivity in Egypt. And this is what this is representing. Exodus twelve eleven says, In this manner you shall eat the Passover, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. Remember that? The Passover, the account? Well, we're doing the, the Passover... Jesus' death is imminent, but there is no danger for the people at this time. They're not slaves anymore to the Egyptians. Now, you remember uh, in John uh, 13, it talks about uh, the Lord leaning upon uh, the bosom of Jesus. John 13, 23, you have it. One of His disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So that disciple leaning back against Jesus said to Him, Lord, is it I? This is just expounding upon the posture in which they were at. So this is how that could have happened in this setting. Verse 21, And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Do you ever, do you ever think about that? Do you ever, do you ever think about apostasy? Uh, I pray almost every morning that before I quit the Lord, or do something immoral or illegal or stupid, that the Lord would just take me out of here. Lord, don't let me quit you. You know, you see accounts like this, and you don't want to be a part of that. You want to finish. You don't want to be a quitter, and we'll, we'll kind of close with this in a second as we look at it. So, this is how it could have happened. Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. He said, I know that I'm being betrayed. He knew that was going to happen. And he said, I desire to eat this Passover with you before I die. I'm telling you, this had to happen. It had to happen. Uh, it had to happen by divine appointment. And he had to happen because he was about to leave his, his disciples. He was about to be gone. He was about to be executed. So he was also putting a, an end to an event which had continued for many years. The Passover. It had been a type. The Passover had represented a type of what? His death. All of the Passovers in the past were representative of what was about to happen to Christ. So what wouldn't they need anymore? The Passover. It turned into the Lord's Supper. But it had been a type of His death and His dying for their sins. What did John say in verses 1-29? through You have the verses. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sins of the world. Let me tell you here, folks, this morning, if our sins have been taken away, if your sins have been taken away, Jesus Christ took them away. No other way for your sins to be taken away. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, what? Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. And that's what we're celebrating this morning. 
the broken body and the shed blood. So he's really saying, this is the last Passover I shall eat with you, or that you shall eat before you see all of those pictures and types takes place. Takes place what? In the death of Christ upon the cross. All that they'd been looking for was about to take place. And so now, what's he do? He reveals the traitor, verse 22. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, One after another, is it I, Lord? And he answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. One of you, one of the twelve. You know, it's, it's kind of like, I, I think almost every Sunday we talk about death, burial, uh, cremation, resurrection of the dead, judgment. Uh, I was in a setting on Friday morning and th- there were three uh, old guys in there. One of them older than me. Uh, I was the next and then two not far behind. And uh, I heard over the holidays, and I don't know if this is true or not, that the life expectancy of a, a white male is somewhere 70, not much, plus. Not like 71, but 70 plus years. Well, if there's four guys 71 or two and above, you know, there's some likelihood that one of us won't be there next year on January the 1st, right? So what do we got to be? What now? What's that word? Yeah. For death or his coming. I mean, we're just a heartbeat away from eternity. Amen. Is it I, Lord? Oh, Lord, surely I wouldn't be capable of that. That's probably giving ourselves a little more credit than we ought to. They didn't say that. They didn't say, surely it's not me, Lord. They says, is it I, Lord? Christ replied, he that dips his hand with me in the bowl, he's the one that will betray me. I, I I can't get this picture. I'm 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 quite sure. Here's probably what was happening at that time, right? Christ took the bowl and put it in front of Judas, and Judas put the the bread, sopped it in the bowl. Probably about that time. That's what he says. He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. Nobody else replies uh, after that but Judas. Verse 24, the Son of Man goes as written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be better for that man if he had not been born. So, if it was possible, which it's not possible if we're saved that we're going to quit him or embarrass him or any of those things. But if it were possible, it would be better that we had never been born than to quit the Lord. It would have been good if Judas had not ever been born. So what Jesus is doing here, he is dooming Judas. He's turned him over to do the work of the devil. 
Jesus' suffering was determined by who? The extent of it, the degree of it. It was foretold by the prophets. So it was necessary. Jesus was not forced to do this. He could have called those legions of angels. But He didn't. But it says, The Son of Man goes. The Son of Man goes as is written of Him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. By God's decree, God decreed that it happened. But His decree did not take the liberty of Judas in acting away nor excuse what he did. It was going to happen. It was decreed that it was going to happen. Verse 24b, It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. This is, this is something for you to think about and to study. How could God decree something to happen that was going to be sin? How could He make a sinful act as to this event necessary by prophecy without being the author of sin? That's a thinking question, is it not? Well, listen to this. And Jeannie and I are studying through the epistles, and we just, just read this in James. God is never the author of sin. God is never the author of sin. As to our Savior's death, God had determined it. He, would, he had foretold it. It was necessary to be. But Satan put the evil motion into the heart of Judas. God doesn't tempt. The devil tempts. And he brings about the sin. Let me say this again. Satan put the evil motion into the heart of Judas. Listen carefully. And Judas acted freely in what he did. Just like all the other evil men who killed Jesus on the cross. It was determined, but they acted freely in doing it. Verse 25, Jesus, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. So having received the dipped bread, Jesus got up and did what? He left. I'm sorry, Jesus. Yeah. Let me say it again. Having received the dipped bread from Jesus, Judas immediately got up and went out. Why? It'd been found out. It was known. John 13, 30. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. But the specific reason, really, my speculation is he had been found out, but it doesn't say exactly why he did that. So let me wrap this up. So what an interesting twist we have here. We go from the anointing of Jesus' feet with the expensive perfume by Mary. 
And the next verse, we start talking about the one of the twelve that's going to betray Jesus. Mary left a lasting memorial. Now, I want you to think here just the last few minutes. Matthew 26, 13, Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Mary did this anticipating his death and also his burial. She is remembered for this great deed. Think of all the great kings and the generals and astronauts and others that are gone. I I read about a story of a... They found a monument out in the middle of a desert somewhere, and it had an inscription as this king. And they found it. But they found this inscription. Nobody knew the king, and the king was gone. That's what happens with people. We're here, we're gone, and we're forgotten. But Mary's not been forgotten, has she? And she will not be forgotten. She is remembered for a great deed. And, and, and look, in a lot, if you haven't been canceled, you're going to get canceled. Okay? You can be dead and gone for hundreds of years and be canceled. It's happening all the time. But not Mary, right? And nobody's going to forget Judas that reads the Bible either, are they? So you're going to be remembered somewhere or the other for a while by somebody. So how do we want to be remembered? Like Mary or like Judas? As a quitter or somebody that hung on to the end? You know, we, we don't want to build a reputation of importance and have buildings named after us. That's not what we're here for. You know what? You know, you know the people who have a lasting legacy? Those are the people who find other people and build them up in the Lord. Did you hear? Let me say it again. People who leave a real lasting legacy are people who invest their time in other people that those people might become followers of Jesus. That's the way you want to be remembered. That didn't strike a chord with that struck a chord with me. I, I didn't feel that striking a chord with you guys. So so won't you think about it just, just a bit? Share what you have and share yourself with others. If you want to be it, if you want to make an impact, share what you have and share yourself with other people. Come on, men. Give yourself to your wife. Moms and dads, give yourself to your children. When they're gone, your grandkids are coming. You got time for other people? Give what you have to the work of God and give yourselves to the edification and the salvation of other people. Matthew 16, 25 through 26. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? We don't want to be remembered as someone who quit the Lord. 
We want to be remembered as somebody that finished strong. Amen? That's the way we want to be remembered. We want to be remembered as someone who is serious about godliness. That would entail getting rid of all sin. And you know, we've all got some lurking around. And we need to be stamping it out, amen? And I tell you how I have to do it. Now, there probably was a time in my life that I had many I was fighting at one time. But I've told you guys in the past that it just seems like I get through fighting one and the Lord will show me another one I need to fight. But if we're going to be serious about godliness, right? We don't have a little pet sin that will hang around. We're always after it. Amen? Get reading of all our idols. Jeannie commented over the holidays that one of our grandsons, and I won't tell you which one or how old he is because you can figure out who it was. She said, you know, he's really generous. And that's, that's something to be said of a young person. But he, he's really generous. That, that's, that's the way we want to be known. As generous people who use what we had to advance God's kingdom and to help other people. We want to be remembered as people being fully committed to following the Lord God and being radically obedient to His commands. It's not a bad thing to be remembered as someone, they were always at church. They were always working for the Lord. They always had time for other people. That's how we want to be remembered. We don't want to be, rem- we don't want to be remembered like Judas, someone that quit Jesus. And as I looked at last week, and, and I do think because it's, uh, it, because it's obvious that uh, there is a, uh, uh, there has been, there continues to be a uh, improper sexualization of a country, especially a sexualization of uh, our children. Uh, if you want to go back and read some stuff that's just horrendous, uh, the name's going to come to me. The guy that came up with all this theory about queerness uh, back in the, the 50s, uh, Indiana University, that's about as close as I'm going to get. He is the authority on queerness. And he thought children that came from the womb were sexual beings and understood their sexuality at that time. Just a pervert. And he is the, uh, he is the author of, of all, all the queerness that we have going on. So because of that sexualization of America, we as God's people have got to do sexuality correctly. Y'all know what that means? That means abstinence, and that means sex between a man and a woman who are married. And that should be our goal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. I believe that's one of the Ten Commandments, and I believe Jesus says He did not come to abolish the law of the prophets. Amen? So next week, great privileges do not make the heart right with God. Would you not say that Judas was a privileged individual? 
to be a part of that 12. But his heart wasn't right with God. We'll also look at the fact is that we should be self-suspicious. Don't be suspicious of your neighbor or your church brother or sister. Be suspicious of yourself. Number two, money can be a great snare. And number three, there's no hope for those who die unconverted or lost. 